This Week at Hope Point. Tired, struggling believer, I want you to picture yourself today with Jesus on the boat. And he's asking you one more time, throw that net out, one more time. Cast your net out again. You're so tired. You feel like, what's the use? I've done it 1,000 times. Nothing. And he's saying, one more time. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. If you were an experienced brain surgeon and found yourself in the operating room struggling to know what to do with a procedure, you probably wouldn't appreciate advice from an auto mechanic that just happened to walk in. If you were a baseball player in a hitting slump, you probably wouldn't appreciate a concert pianist coming next to the hitting cage that I'll tell you how to hit. So this is how Jesus, this is how Peter, the apostle Peter probably felt on the, <clears throat> the morning when he had been fishing all night, catching nothing and a, a preacher named Jesus of Nazareth came by and said, I will teach you how to fish. Cast your nets out once again. With everything within him, he did not want to obey the master. But the beautiful story of Luke 5 is he did fish again at the master's urging and his life was changed as a result. The overarching message from Luke chapter 5 is that Jesus Christ is always looking for new disciples. I love how the text begins. In verse 1, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or Galilee with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So verses 1 and 2 of Luke 5 talking about this place called the Sea of Galilee. It was made up of nine townships that population total was around 150,000. And you would say it's a great place for a picnic obviously a good profitable place for business if you're a fisherman, but you wouldn't really think of it being as a place where you're going to hear a sermon preached. It's not a church. It's outdoors, grassy fields by the water. And there was Jesus Christ. And do you know why he was there? It's because that's where the people were. My evangelism professor at seminary, Roy Fish, used to say this. I don't know where the people are on Sunday morning, but I know where they ain't. And that's in church. So go where they are, in your businesses and neighborhoods. This is why we developed this program and campaign, Who's Your One? To develop this mindset in in, in your life that there's one person that'll never come here, ever, unless you become involved in their life and take the courage to do what Jesus did here and preach the gospel in an unusual place. So Jesus Christ is seeking more disciples, which brings us to the big question today is, what is a disciple? What does a disciple look like? And the text answers that in in four ways. Number one, he follows the Lord at all times. So after Jesus finished preaching that morning, the crowds were leaving. He told Peter, let's go fishing again. Cast your net out again. Now remember, this guy had worked a 12-hour shift 
and had nothing to show for it, exhausted, the last thing he wanted to do was fish. Luke 5, 4. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Don't you love the tension in this story? I mean, here is... Here's a man who wants to be respectful to Jesus, but what he really wanted was sleep. He didn't, he didn't want to cast his nets out again, maybe a stick of dynamite, but not to go fishing again because he knew it was useless because that's what he'd been doing for 12 hours. He wanted to quit. I'll share a quote with you. If you're feeling the temptation to quit, it is probably because you're doing exactly what Jesus has called you to do. He doesn't call us to those works we can do, but works that he alone can do through us. If you find that you're overwhelmed by the place he's called you, it probably means you're in the right, right place. I received an interesting text this week, <clears throat> Thursday night at 7.20 is what my phone said. It was from one of our internationals. The text was very kind. It said, we continue to pray for your health and we miss your sermons. Well, I knew by the text that he wasn't here last Sunday because it was my first time back, obviously in nine weeks. So I, I basically told him that. I said, well, your prayers are effective. I am feeling better. By God's grace on Easter, I was able to preach from Isaiah 53 and by his grace, I will preach this coming Sunday. Well, that was 7.20 on Thursday night. Well, at that time, I didn't really have, this is this week, 7.20 on Thursday night. I didn't have a message. I had been working as hard. I knew you wanted to finish Revelation. I sort of would like to finish Revelation. So I'm sort of getting back into it. But my mind is still not really ready for heavy-duty, linear, logical, forming arguments. So Thursday night, I just gave up. I said, I can't do it. I was frustrated. Obviously, I've got years of old sermons, but what to do, I don't, I don't know. So then another text came from him right after I told him I'm going to preach Thursday night, which I didn't really understand how that was going to happen. But I told him Thursday night I was going to. This was his text. I'm going to read you the first part. I got a PowerPoint for the last part because I'm a little embarrassed the first part he would write this about me, but he said, hallelujah. I'm so glad that God is showing us through you that, and then here's how his text ended, that the one who doesn't give up wins. I've never really, just the way he phrased it, I showed it to Lisa when we've been through preaching through Revelation and I've been trying to find out what does the word overcome mean in Revelation. That's what it means. Doesn't mean you're strong. Doesn't mean you got it together. It just means the one who doesn't give up wins. That's what overcoming means. His text helped me that night to overcome. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to find out how to fight your flesh when it says quit. It's, you know, one of the reasons that we lose <clears throat> the ability to persevere in difficult times 
is we've just never really learned how to incorporate Jesus Christ in the many individual moments of our day. It's like we can go way too long of a period of time without interacting with him because we sort of have these categories of, well, this is business, this is work, this is where I make my widgets, and then I'll have my quiet time either in the morning or at night, but work is work. We just don't know how to integrate Jesus into everything. And then, our, then we lose our strength on the way. It, many in the church have a, sort of a distorted view of Christianity that we, like it's like we live in a real house and we drive a real car to a real job and we work on a real computer and we answer real phone calls and deal with real problems and supervise real people and produce real widgets. But Sunday we come together and it's sort of like not so much make-believe but less real than my job. Like my job is real. This is less real, so it gets less attention. And we miss out on so many things in life when we believe that God is only interested in parts of our life. And we just don't agonize with him and include him and say, God, how do I do this at work? How do, I, how do I fix this thing at home and marriage? And God, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. While you're riding on your zero return lawnmower, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. I need you. I need you. Don't just wait to church to say that. <clears throat> I was flying several years ago from Mumbai to New Delhi, India, and seated next to me was this college girl. She had just graduated from nursing, and we uh, <clears throat> obviously we had lots of fun things to talk about, how college is fun, new friendships are fun, and, and uh, such a noble degree, a nursing degree. And she was flying to a new city to get her master's in nursing. So I was talking to her about that. And so then I'm just looking for a way to, you know, to, can Christ be a part of this conversation? So I said, well, I'll tell you this. It was during my college years that I really formed a relationship with Jesus Christ. I began to think about faith then. Has, have you had any such experience while you were in college? Thinking about faith. Well, she was loaded for bear. Evidently, she had dealt with Christians before. She was a Hindu. And she said, oh, you Christians, I've heard that many, many times. Receive Christ, pray the prayer, and everything works out, and that's it. And I said, well, I said, I, I don't know who would have told you that, but Christianity is it's not about praying one prayer. And I, I looked at her, I said, I'm praying right now as I'm talking to you. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I've got this orange juice in my hand. It's delicious. And I'm thanking the Lord for taste buds. And I'm thanking the Lord that my brain can communicate with my fingers of how to hold a glass while I'm talking to you. All that's going on. It's praise. This is what Christianity is. Every moment of life is a celebration of the mercy and wonder of Jesus she looked at me as if I had fallen to earth from another planet. She really thought Christianity was, you pray a prayer, you get saved, and you never interact with God again. Peter said to Jesus, I want to be involved in your fishing business. Well, Peter was, had some reservations, but he obeyed. Luke 5, 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night 
and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because whatever Peter knew about Jesus at this time in his life, he knew him by the title of master. And if he's master, you don't say no. It's the world's biggest oxymoron. Master, no. Because if you say no, he's not master. If he's master, you don't say no. Believers are treading in dangerous territory when they begin to feel a freedom to tell the master no. You really need to think about where you are with the Lord if you're able to look into the eyes of Jesus Christ and say repeatedly, no. He's not master if you can tell him no. So to the master of the ocean, to the master of heaven, Peter said, yes, which leads us to point number two. And what is a disciple? He worships the Lord for all blessings. Luke chapter five, verse six, when they had done so, put their nets back out, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink with all the fish. He and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. I mean, I just can't wait for the day that across the front of this church outside is written the word, a group of people who are astonished and amazed by God and across the front of your house and on your desk at work, I am astonished and amazed by God. That is the heart of Christianity, is to be astonished and amazed at the glory and the power of God. You know, I know that you guys are loving that the Lord would be so kind to us. The bench is so deep here at church. When I miss nine weeks, we have all these guys here who can preach, Caleb and Dan and Fudd. And then now Hunter's messed up with this inner ear thing and Jeremy and Marcia, Brian. Just, we're so grateful. But in the first service, I saw Hunter on the back row and I talked to him just about daily. How's he doing? If you don't know what's happening, it's just, it's the, he's got pressure problems in the inner, actually the middle ear. So like to put in this, those earpieces the band people use, it just, it's like somebody screaming at him in his ear. Very painful and we're just waiting for the balance, the beautiful balance of how the body does that. How's the, how's the balance in your ear this morning working? It's amazing, isn't it? No problems at all, and it's normally not a problem. When is the last time you've come in church and thanked the Lord for the air pressure being right in your middle ear? You know, one of the things that was wrong with me was when I had that little infection thing, it messed up this nerve that goes from, from the inner ear to the brain called the vestibular nerve, and it's been messing with my equilibrium, and, and I got a big test tomorrow at an ENT. They said, we're really going to make you dizzy tomorrow. But I've never in my life praised God for my vestibular nerve. I am now. <laughs> Somebody needs to write a song about 
Oh, my vestibular nerve. It's there. I know it's somewhere for the taking. But this is, this is where Christianity, this is where life gets good is when you, everything becomes a source of, of praise. You know, if there's any one thing that Peter should have praised God for and been astonished at, it was the grace of Jesus Christ doing a miracle in his life. And that's, that, that's, that's the biggest thing we praise God for is how he, he comes back to us when we have, have failed him. Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and, and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I don't really know exactly what the shame was that was occurring in Peter's life at this time. You know, had Jesus already come to him, you know, a couple months earlier and said, I'd like for you to consider being a disciple and Peter was thinking about it, but then said fishing's easier. Was it one of those things? Or was it just the realization that Peter's just sitting there saying, oh my, if this man is able to see hundreds of fish in the Sea of Galilee, he's able to see hundreds of fish, uh, hundreds of sins deep within my heart. He just knew he was in the presence of the divine and he was ashamed. And so he was overwhelmed by his sin, but he was undereducated about God's grace. And so he thought the best thing that could happen now, Jesus, go away. I'm too bad for you. We do that. Some of you today probably feel like I'm too far away. Jesus had other plans. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid of me, Peter. Just won't, I just want to weep at that verse. Don't be afraid of me. I knew that you would fail me when I called you. I knew you would fail me when I created you. So what I tell people every time in my office counseling, I, I hurt for the heartbreak in your life, but I'm not surprised by this sin that you have, are dealing with. I'm not surprised. We're all capable. I hurt for you, not surprised. God is not surprised. This is the beauty of the gospel. When you fail Jesus most miserably, this is when he is most accessible. The moment you think he should walk away from you, that is when he gently extends his hand towards you. Today, if you're tormented by shame and guilt, this is when Jesus Christ wants to show you his tenderness as you've never seen it. Third characteristic of a disciple, he announces hope to all people. Luke 5.10, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid from now and you'll catch men, or I like the way the living Bible says it, from now and you'll be fishing for the souls of men. 
This is amazing. Jesus Christ doesn't just forgive us and then benches us. He forgives us and then gives us the starting position as pitching the first game of the World Series. He says, I'm entrusting the world's salvation and the preaching of the gospel to all nations, to you, the church. After you failed me. He wants to use you to go fish for others the way that he went fishing for you. June 17th, 2005, at 4.38 p.m., a Sikorsky 7... S-776 helicopter left the East 34th helipad in New York City with um, eight people on board, two pilots and six business men from the NBA, MBNA credit card company. They were in the air one minute when the helicopter lost power and began to descend and crashed into the East River. Upon exiting the craft, um, five of the people were rescued as they were floating down the East River as people from the bank formed a line and threw life jackets out to five of them. Three of them missed the human chain and floated for 12 blocks down the East River until they came to a 23-foot fishing vessel called the Half Moon. And the two owners that were operating that day later described their catch when they got the three on board as we caught six bass, four bluefish, and three humans. <laughs> One of the men on that boat that day was 57-year-old Charlie Stamm. He's the director of the Hudson River uh, fishing um, industry. He said, Following the incident, he said, it's not every day that you save someone's life. It's a good feeling. This is why we launched this campaign, Who's Your One? There's not a better feeling in the world that when you have the ability and the opportunity to do something that introduces a lost person to the God who wants to save them, it's the best feeling in the world. It's the highest joy of happiness. In fact, you will not experience ultimate pleasure until you learn how to take a risk and share, to share the gospel. How inhumane it would have been if those two fishermen would have had the capacity to save those three guys floating by and did not make an attempt to save them. How inhumane of us to have this message and not actively be sharing Christ. This is how Jude commissions us in verse 23. We are to snatch others from the fire and save them. That's, in, that's intense. That's, that's, what it, that's what's at stake. People in the East River drown if they're not saved. People go to hell if they don't hear of Christ. This is our, our, our mission. I love how Elton Trueblood says, commitment is never real until it leads to mission. We sang well already, we'll sing well at the end. But nothing we do in the church today really, it's, it's, it's not really the completing of our mission until we take this hope and share it with somebody.
that's the one in your life. When Billy Graham was a student at Florida Bible Institute, he would preach in the morning at a church and he said there were times where he would preach seven times on the streets outside of bars there in Tampa, Florida. I want to read you a quote. It's a long quote. Sorry, I don't have it on the screen. It's somebody's fault. <laughs> Thinking about who to blame today. I do my own pro presenter, so it would be most likely my fault. I don't want to take the blame. It's precious, so please listen well. I wish it were up there. It's from Charles Spurgeon in his devotion, Morning and Evening. I changed a little bit of it when his old English just started driving me crazy. If God had willed it, each of us might have entered heaven at the moment of a conversion. Had the Lord so willed it, he might have changed us from imperfection to perfection and have taken us to heaven at once. Why then are we here? Would God keep his children out of paradise a single moment longer than necessary? Why is the army of the living God still on the battlefield when one command would give us victory? Why are his children still wandering here and there like a maze when a solitary word from God's lips would bring them to the center of their hope in heaven? The answer is that we may bring others to know him as well. We remain on earth as sowers of the good seed, as plowmen that breaks up fallow ground, heralds publishing salvation. We are here as salt of the earth to be a blessing to the world. We are here working for Christ and with Christ. Let's see to it that our life answers that call. It's the only reason we're left here is to share Christ with those who don't know him as we do. Number four, finally, a description of a disciple, he gives the Lord all things. Luke 5, 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and followed him. That is a stunning statement. You, you know they worked for their dad. That's whose business it was. So left everything means they left their father's fishing business that he had entrusted to them. They left their jobs. They left salaries and they left their retirement plans. They left everything that was secure right there that day to follow Christ, trusting that he would take care of the future. I'll give you a, a formula. The formula that it takes to follow Christ is Give him everything. I lose you. It is crazy. This is the only way it works. Everything. And every time I've tried to do anything less than everything, it just was no joy. I wasn't productive. It's everything from your heart. God deserves more from us. He deserves better and it doesn't work any other way. Remember the, how the hymn writer said it? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that would still be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. You know, many of us are scared to give God everything because we, we deal with, a, we have this disease called, disease called Africaitis 
which is the fear of if I say yes to him, he's going to send me to Africa <laughs> as a missionary. Ed Barnes was a friend of mine, a dis- one of my early disciples growing up, and he had that disease. There was a mission trip going out of First Baptist Church, North Augusta, and his wife, Judy, wanted to go. They were going to Tanzania, Africa. Well, Ed, did, Ed was an, a rising pharmacist as he works at Parks Pharmacy. Last thing he wanted to do was take two weeks off from work, counted as, that was his vacation, and go to Africa because he knew his wife had the itch to go more than just two weeks. He went with her, and when he got there and saw the people, how beautiful they were, how in need they were, God began to impress on his heart, come back and plant your life here. Oh, what a battle began there in North Augusta with Ed Barnes. At just the time when all of that was happening, Park's Pharmacy became for sale. He had worked there as a pharmacist, now he had the opportunity to buy it. And God just, so he said no to Parks Pharmacy and for the next 18 years served as a pharmacist in Malawi, Africa with his wife, Judy. You know one of the reasons he was scared to go to Africa? He was scared about taking his children there and raising them there, their safety. His children are beautiful now. Let me ask you, where do you think is scarier to raise your kids? Africa or here in America? I don't know. We're so scared about this is getting to be a place that eats up kids. Oh. Many believers wander throughout their life with the absence of joy simply because of an unsurrendered heart that just have never said yes. Every time I write the director of our orphanage in India and we celebrate something, he always writes me back. He said, because I said yes, pastor, because I said yes. That's all he says. That's the success of the orphanage in El Shaddai, because I said yes, pastor, because I said yes. <laughs> because I said yes. And Jesus said, it's got to be a yes always with your whole heart. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's just everything or it doesn't work. And it's funny because it something less than everything can still sound good. If I were to ask you today about like how much you think you've given to God and you say, well, I, I think I give him most. I'm telling you just to hear that sounds pretty good. I've, I've given him most of my heart. I said, well, put a number. I, I don't know, 90%. I give him 90% of, of my heart. Well, all of that sounds good except if you were to ask a man when you're traveling away from your family on the business, how faithful are you when you're away from your home? And 
it's, it's just 100%. You say, well, you're, are you 100% all the time? No, I, I wasn't this week. And so I repented. This, that's the whole Christian life is constantly repenting, constantly coming back. I'm just telling you, less than your all, it never works out. There was a man once lost in the desert, dying for a drink of water. He comes on to a, 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 an old weather-beaten shack. Half the roof is gone, windows busted out. He's so thirsty, goes to the side of the shack and there's a, a well, a rusty well. Pump, pump, pump. He's glad it's dry. Oh, sad. And he's about to walk away and then he sees on the front porch of this shack a jug with a piece of paper on it. The jug was filled with water and this was the paper, what the paper said. You have to prime the pump with all the water in this jug. P.S. Be sure to fill the jug again before you leave. Now he's left with a dilemma. He's got a gallon of water right in front of him. Can drink or trust this, these words. Pour it down in the pump and prime it. Ah. And he gives everything to the pump and puts all the water in it. And then he starts to pump and pump nothing. And then a trickle and then a stream and then a gush. And he's got all the water he can drink and then basically bathe in and frolic in. It's the greatest day of his life. And he's about to walk away and then he remembers the jug. So he goes back and fills it up and puts it on the front porch and writes this note. Believe me, it really works. You have to give it all away before you get anything back. That's the gospel. All of yourself to Jesus before you discover how he can change your life. Tired, struggling believer, I want you to picture yourself to, with, today with Jesus on the boat and he's asking you one more time, throw that net out. One more whatever is for you. One more whatever that is. One more time. Cast your net out again. You're so tired. And you feel like, what's the use? I've done it 1,000 times. Nothing. And he said, one more time. I think I'll just quit. You say... What could be wrong with that? I'll tell you this, you wanna increase your misery, you quit on God. Your misery will only increase. No matter what you're going through, the only joy producing response is to hear the master and obey him one more time. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.